0: This day and your blessings, Lord, and we ask your anointing upon this message, Lord, and upon your servant as I as I deliver. Anoint, open the ears of thy people, Lord, to receive this message in Jesus' name. Everybody said, "Amen." Amen. Amen. Well, Horatio Spafford, a successful Chicago lawyer, most lost most of his wealth in the financial crisis of 1873. He sent his wife and four daughters on a trip to France, but on their way, their ship Was sunk by another and sank, was hit by another one and sunk. Of 225 passengers, only 87 of them survived. Mrs. Spafford uh, was among the survivors, but the four daughters perished. As soon as she reached land, she telegraphed her husband, Saved alone, children lost. What shall I do? Spafford left for France to join his wife and returned to her Chicago, to return with her to Chicago. In the depth of his bereavement, he wrote his only hymn, Thou hast taught me to say, It is well with my soul. Wow. I know most of us won't have that kind of crisis in our lives, but I have met people who have had a similar crisis, evangelists or whatever, have lost, lost six daughters when their van crashed, and his wife, and yet he still remained faithful to God. Wow. Wow. You know, we can't even understand that kind of crisis. And all of us won't ever have to deal with that kind of crisis, hopefully. But if we do, we have a God that can get us through it. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to look at a crisis in David's life. And from that crisis, I want to look at the way he survived a crisis and glean some things that we can utilize when we're going through a crisis. Uh, 2 Samuel 12, 9 through 12. Finally, found my, my things I put up. Sometimes they get lost from one place when I transfer them. So anyway, praise the Lord, they're up there. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in His eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Amorites. Now therefore, the word will never depart from your house, or the sword will never depart from your house, because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to to one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. Now, the crisis that David is going to face was the result of his own sin. If you remember, he saw Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop, which he wasn't supposed to be looking down at it anyway. That was the rules. But he did. And, he, and lust grew in his heart. And, and because he's king, he just had her brought to him. Hey, I'm king. I can do whatever I want. Who's going to stop me? So he sleeps with her, and she gets pregnant. And now he's got a big problem. How is she going to explain to her husband, that she's pregnant when he's been in war for a long time. And he decided, well, I'll bring him home and get him drunk. And then he can sleep with his wife and the problem's solved. But Uriah was a very honest man and he said, I will not slow home and sleep with my wife while my fellow soldiers are fighting. So he went back. And so David has said, oh man, what am I going to do now? So he decided, well, I'll just have Uriah killed. And then I'll just take his wife to be my own. And that's what he did. But just because you can, you can do something doesn't make it right. Sometimes we kind of talk ourselves into certain things and we think, well, that's okay. It ain't that bad. We can do it. But God, is it a, if it's okay with God, then is it okay with me? That should be our uh, theology. If it's okay with God... It's okay with me. That's what I tell people about certain things that they're trying to legalize. I says just as soon as you get God convinced of it, I'll be convinced of it. And since God's word never changes, and it's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that means he will never change his mind about the things that people legalize. doesn't matter how many sins we legalize, God is still against it. And that means we as believers are against it. We love the people, but we hate the sin and we've got to look at the way that our um, legislature's trying to, trying to pass some of the stuff that they're trying to pass, which is ridiculous. It sounds good. The Fair Fair Something Act, I don't remember what they called it. And uh, it sounds good. But when you look in the fine print, it would mean that churches could not discriminate against all these uh, lesbians and, and gay men and all of them. Trans, Transgender people, you know, if I said I decided I wanted to be a boy today, so I'm going in the, or the men's locker room. I don't want that to happen. But under that law, they could do it. And it would push that law onto the church. So the church would start having to hire gay people to be pastors or to teach Sunday school or whatever because we couldn't discriminate against them. So I'm not worried about it. it won't pass to the Senate. If it does, the President won't sign it. I'm thankful we have a President that will, that is more honest in some aspects than others. I know he has a has a past, but we all have a past. But I believe Pastor Trump is doing the best that he can, and I believe that he wants to do what God wants him to do. And I have faith that so far that he's he's at least doing it. Sure, he tweets too much, but who cares? You know, don't read him. So I tell people, if we don't like his tweets, don't read them. Don't read them and get. Upset over it. But sometimes we create our own crisis. But we have to remember, even when we're in a crisis, even if we created it, that God won't let us go through something that he knows would destroy us. We may go through that crisis, but we'll come out strong on the other side. Amen. And the most painful crises are in our own life. And they're very personal. Second Samuel 15, 9b-13. Then Absalom sent messengers throughout the tribes of Israel to say, As soon as you hear the sound of trumpets, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. Two hundred men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They had been invited as guests and went that went completely and were completely innocent. Innocently, knowing nothing about the matter. While Absalom was offering sacrifice, he also sent for Athophel, the Gittite, the Gilanite. I wish it Give us good names so we can pronounce them. Uh, David's counselor to come to Gila in his hometown. And so the conspiracy gained strength, and Absalom's following kept on increasing. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. How soon the people forget what God did for them. wasn't that long ago when they were singing David's praises. Wasn't that long ago when David brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem? That they forget. It's just like everything else, you know. You may have done all these things, but what have you done lately? And there's times that we haven't done anything lately. And of course, in their eyes, it means every day. What have you given me lately? Why do some of these uh, things that are popular become popular? It's because what can you give me? It isn't about what the country needs, it's what do I get out of it. And that's the one that people follow. And most of the people that are following these things are young people because they like the idea of free stuff. Of course, I like the idea of free stuff, but nothing's free. Everything that they want to give to to somebody else, give to somebody, they have to take from somebody else in order to give it to them. Now, I don't want to support somebody else's kids going to college. They want to go to college, fine. You pay for it. Our our son went to college and he wanted to go to Phoenix instead of uh, the University of Utah. And we told him, hey, if you stay here and go to the University of Utah, we'll help you. You want to go to Phoenix to a different school? Then you're on your own. And he went on his own and he griked up about 40 grand worth of school bills, college loans and stuff. But at least he paid his off finally It only took him what? Ten years, fifteen years, pay it off. That's a lot. So if you borrow money, unless you get a free grant, you're gonna have to pay for it. And sometimes you are going to be paying for it the rest of your life because college is expensive. You're lucky if you can pay forty thousand dollars as cheap for one year. When I went to college, it cost like twenty-five hundred bucks, and a thousand, maybe a thousand bucks. It was that. I don't remember how much for. Board and room, of course, that's a long time ago, but when I went, that was a lot of money. Say, like, oh man, I got, you could almost, you could not quite buy a new car for that. But it, it was rough. I had to go and I cleaned bathrooms at school to get enough money to, so I could wash my clothes, because they don't give you money to wash your clothes. And I had to wash them, so this lady in the church used to send me $5 a month. Oh, man, I was so grateful for that $5. I got, I got to go down to the snack center and buy me a hot chocolate. You know, that doesn't seem like a lot, but it was to me. My parents didn't give me a moment. My mom had sent me some money once in a blue moon. But that was it. They wouldn't help me at all. So, anyway. Second <clears throat> Samuel 15. and oh, we already read that one, didn't we? Uh, let's see. The messenger we didn't read that, did we? Yes, we did. The messenger words probably felt like a knife to David's heart. Now, I can't even imagine, well, I can to a certain degree, maybe, somebody turning you know, uh, turn their back on you, especially someone of your own family. Can you imagine if your son did something like that to you? Man, talk about a knife to the heart, knife to the back, you know, and you <laughs> like, feel like you're a stabbing board with all these people that turned against him when he was so popular at one time. And friends, the only friends that we can really count on are the ones that are believers. And hopefully we as believers can be counted on and we can be trusted. I like to think that's true. But he was, uh, his heart was broken and it was bad enough that he would had to go through this, but his own son was leading the rebellion. Wow, I can't even imagine. He had to deal with his own son that wanted to overthrow him, which was bad enough, but he didn't want to just overthrow him, he wanted to kill him. I don't think I have a kid that would be willingly want to kill me or overthrow me. (laughs) We can't even imagine that, but that's what David was dealing with, all because of a sin that he created. For himself, a crisis can come out of anywhere. That crisis can include our job, our family, our friends. There are a lot of different kinds of crisis that we go to. Now, crisis is not a respecter of persons, and it's not fair. You know, we sit here, we're going through something, and we say, God, this ain't fair. Why do I have to go through this when this person over there isn't going through nothing? And they're... Doing a lot worse things than I've ever done. Maybe you need to say, God, you listen to God when He says, God takes care of that takes care of that other kid over there. Hopefully it's not a believer. If they're non believers, they're kind of easier to accept if they stab you in the back. But not when it's a believer, and not when it's your friend, close friend. Now I've had people hurt me in church emotionally. I don't believe anybody ever means, means to hurt us, but sometimes we do. We say a careless word and don't think anything about it until you get home and God starts convicting you of it. And you start thinking about it, then you go, man, why, Lord, why did I do that? And then you have to go apologize to him. We have to apologize for things that we say or do. If we don't, then it's not the complete circle of Repentance. Because, yeah, it's great to be forgiven, but we have to make it right if we can. And if we've wronged somebody and you go and apologize, then they're going to believe, hey, wow, this this is great. You know, God had them come and apologize to me. It'll mean something to them. So 2 Samuel 15, 14 to 16. Oh, I must have messed that up somewhere. What's about one previous? Oh, that one, we use that one. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. The king's officials answered him, Your servants are ready to do whatever the, our lord the king chooses. The king, the king set out with his entire household following him, and he left ten concubines to take care of the palace. Now, I don't know why he left the ten concubines. That's still a mystery to me. (laughs) But he shouldn't have had the concubines to begin with. He should have just had one wife. They get in trouble when they take more than one wife. You know, men say, oh, man, I'd love to have two or three wives. No, you wouldn't. You would not. They'll be fighting and arguing in the house like you would not believe. And you start having kids, and there's more conflict going on. And I want the throne. And Absalom, I think was his firstborn, he thought he was entitled to the throne. Period. And he didn't want to wait. So he decided he's going to do it on his own. And that's how a lot of them take the throne, is by force. But in America, they won't be able to take this country by force. It'll be taken and destroyed from within. When we start being complacent to what's going on around us, this nation's going to fall and crumble from all the cracks within it. So we need to pray for this nation, and we need to start speaking up and speaking against these things. Write your congressmen, your senators, your state and your state and United States one. Write them. Let them know. It's so easy to do. So do it. Because what do they do? They honor the ones that make the most noise. I'm amazed at everything on TV that we see. There's got to be a gay on every program. We started watching a program and we thought, oh man, that's going to be pretty good. Now there's no gay. Then what do they do? Next week, here they come. they got to have a gay minorities and all these other kind of things because they're trying to prove, um, satisfy a group of people that mean absolutely nothing. There's more righteous people in America than there are non-righteous. But they don't care. They want to push their own agenda. And they do it through television shows, And through legislation. And they try to legalize things that we are against. And I don't care if they legalize whatever they want to legalize. I'm going to go what God says. And hopefully things will change. I think we have a better opportunity now than we've had if someone else would have got into that office. I'm thankful to God every day that we have him. As imperfect as he is. But he's done nothing but try to help this country. He's a patriot. People of his age, which is my age, me and Trump are about the same age. <laughs> so, and all the winning years of his life, he wants to spend serving this country, with all the stuff he has to put up. I'd have thrown in the keys, thrown in the towel a long time ago. But he hasn't. He doesn't care. Sometimes he makes fire all over the place because he. I don't know. I think like sometimes he likes to do that, so they won't, they won't know what he's passing over here. <laughs> But anyway, at this point, David had two options. He could fight or he could flee. If he stayed and fought, then the city could partially be destroyed. Or su- anyway, it would suffer great loss because of it. And this was the city that David loved. And he didn't want to have that happen. If he flees, he could regroup, go strength and face the situation on his own terms. If we're in a crisis... We need to look at these things. But by fleeing, David preserves the city, provides for his family, and protects his military strength. There will be times when we need to regroup because it will allow us to get a clear understanding of the big picture, get focused on the real problems at hand, and get an opportunity to recover strength from the shock of the crisis. You know, sometimes we don't need to react to the crisis. We need to act. When we get somebody who does something to us, we react and want to return the favor. Because they hurt us, we're going to hurt you. That's our normal natural thing that we have. But we need to just stop, wait a minute, and regroup. Second Samuel 15 17 through 20. Next slide. Okay, huh? So am I. <laughs> so the king set out with all his power, all these were in Second Samuel 15, if you want to look, look it up from there. So the king set out with all the people following him, and they halted at the edge of the city, and his men marched past him, along with that, all the Kishanites, the Pelletes and all 600 Gibeites, Gittites, who had accompanied him from Gath, marched before the king. The king said to Itta, Itta, Ittai, the Gittai, Why should you come along with us? Go back and stay with, with King Absalom. You are a foreigner, an exile from your homeland. You came only yesterday, and today shall I make you wander about with us when I do not know where I'm going? Go back and take your people with you. May the Lord show you kindness and faithfulness. Now, this get see, what's his name at, the Ittai, was faithful to David. And it, when he says, you just came yesterday, he didn't mean the day, bef- day, yesterday, the day, it meant a time period in his past. He was with him, he met him, and met him when he was um, running from Saul. And his men fo- started following him then. And he became one of David's mighty men. And we know that there were 30 mighty men. Well, he had more than that, but 30 was his closest protectors. And those were the ones that were the best fighters. So this guy was one of the best fighters. And he was faithful to David, and he brought brought him with him. But David was telling him, hey, you don't have to come with me. You're just a foreigner. He won't bother you. You know, this is your home. Stay here, and you'll be safe. See, we need to leave, keep, do our best to keep the innocent out of our crisis. Right. You know, if, if we can do that, that's the best thing we can do. Some people think if I'm hurting, everybody else should be hurting. How many people know people like that? Yeah. If I'm hurting, you're hurting. You're going to hurt. I'll see to it. They're not fun people to be around, are they? And we don't need to be around them if we can help it. If they're people in your own family, then it's a little hard, but you can avoid certain situations. Now, they became friends, like I said, when he was in Ziglag, and returned to Israel with him. <clears throat> we need to be our best to keep the innocent out of our crisis. Second uh, Samuel 15 21 to 22 We need to especially need to let the people that are going to be affected by our crisis know about it. Don't want to be slammed in the face with it. It's good to warn the people that are affected by the crisis what's going on. Then they can prepare when it happens. Um, But Ittai replied to the king, as surely as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king may be, whether it means life or death, there your servant will be. David said to Ittai, Go ahead and march on. So Ittai the to get by, marched on with all his men and, fa- and the families that were with him. And he pledges his loyalty to David in life or death. Man, how would you like a friend like that? You know, we, we have a lot of friends. But then when we get down to the very finite things in our life, the very personal things, that group of friends shrinks. You know, I may have over what, 250, 260 people on Facebook that follow me, maybe more, I don't know. But they're, they're my Facebook friends. But that when I have a look at friends, you know, you're closer friends to me than anyone on Facebook, unless you're on Facebook, of course. That list of friends kind of shrinks. And then when you're going having a problem, then that group f- shrinks even more. Right. We don't go around, you know, if I'm going through something, I don't announce to the church unless it will affect the church, what's going on? It'd be stupid. <laughs> no sense bothering you guys with something if, if it doesn't really have, going to affect your life. And David wanted to do that. So when we're in a crisis, we need to trust, talk about it, and talk about it to someone we trust, the pastor, friends, or family, so they'll know about it. 2 Samuel 15, 23 to 25. The whole countryside wept aloud as the people passed by. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley, and all the people moved on towards the wilderness. Zadok was there there too, and all the Levites who were with him were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They set down the Ark of God, and Athar offered sacrifice until all the people had finished leaving the city. Then the king said to Zadok, take the ark back to the city. Now Zadok met with David, brought the ark, and they were offering sacrifices. Well, the whole time, his family and his, all his men and army that was really faithful to him marched by. I don't know how many there was. It's was probably a couple thousand people, I would guess, because Zadok had 600 plus their families that followed David, and then he did have an army that was faithful to him. So the high priest was offering sacrifices the whole time that this group of people marched on until the last person was out of the city. And I believe this is what kept them safe. You know, Absalom's over there uh, claiming himself to be king and offering sacrifices. And they're there over here, they're offering it to protect David. Because remember, David was God's chosen person to be on the throne of Israel. It's only because of his sin that he had to go through this crisis. But he still had people that were still faithful to him and would give their life for him. How many people do we know that we give our life for? Most of our friends and family that we know, we probably would as believers, because, hey, we have nothing to lose and everything to gain. But in that day, if if you had that many followers, that was great. Of course, like I said, he was the king. And it was his own son. And I think if he had raised his son better, he wouldn't be facing this problem here. He was a, actually, he wasn't a very good father. He was running for his life, but he took time to seek the presence of God. David knew in a crisis, worship was the most important thing he could do. if He wanted deliverance. That has to be a priority for us. We need to call our church family and to pray with us. Too many times in a crisis, people get mad and blame God and, and get mad at the church and they leave and they don't come back because of a crisis. and they get mad at us because we didn't come and pray with them or whatever, when we didn't know anything about it. Your family here needs to know you're going having a problem before we can pray for you. You know, I'm not psychic. The Holy Spirit lives within me, and sometimes he tells me something that's going on, but He wants us to call. He told us to call the elders of the church. He didn't say, just get mad and hope that the pastor will find out that you're mad and then come and find out why he's mad. Doesn't usually work like that. Sometimes you go visit people that have been gone for a couple weeks and they get mad because you came. I don't understand it, but that happens. So if you're going to be in a crisis or something's going on, let us know so we can pray with you. Uh, let's see, David wanted the symbol of God's presence in the city that he loved. You know, that was a big deal when he sent the ark back because whoever had the ark had the presence of God. That's the way it was in the Old Testament. They shared in his favor. I've got God's favor. I've got the ark. But he sent it back because Jerusalem was the city that he loved. I love Jerusalem too. If you been to Israel, or not, it's a city you have have a love for because God loves Jerusalem. And that's why we need to put Israel ahead of all this other people that are against it. And I get aggravated at these stupid idiots, and they're idiots that have all this anti-Semitism, and nothing's said about it. You know, the president has to say something about it because the people don't. Where are the conservatives when that happens? Where are the believers when that happens? In the first place, that one is not allowed to have a scarf on her head like she does, a how or whatever it is. It's against the rules. You're not allowed to be in there with that on. But here they are, they make an exception for her. But they wouldn't make exceptions years ago for other people. There's no exceptions, unless you're a Muslim. They make exceptions for you. Probably because they're afraid you're going to come and kill somebody in their family. They operate out of fear. Samuel 15, 25 and 26. If I, if I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me and let me see it. And his dwelling place again. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him to do whatever he wants. Seems good to him. He was willing to let the ark go because he had a faith an absolute faith and trust in God. And he was willing to allow God to let him not see the ark again and take his life if that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to please God no matter what that meant. Are we willing to please God no matter what that means? We say, oh, yeah, sometimes if it's good for me, but if it's not, I don't know if I want to. And that's the world we live in today. If it's, Is it good for our nation? If the answer is no, then we have to be against it. And if we ask ourselves, is it good for me and my family? If the answer is yes, then it's okay. But if it isn't, we need to deal with the the crisis or deal with what's going on. David was committed to God's will no matter what, and I want to be committed to God no matter what. But sometimes we can have an attitude of faith and get frustrated. How many of you get frustrated? I do. Guilty as charge. I get frustrated a lot. But then I had a rogue awake when I wrote this because I found out that frustration is a byproduct of not trusting God for help and guidance. So I have to look at that. I try not to get frustrated because I do not want it to be a lack of faith because I believe ultimately that God can fix any situation even though I can't see how he's going to do it or if he's going to do it. Do we have enough faith to say, whatever, Lord, whatever you want to do, it's up up to you. My life is in your hands. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we want to pray, and that's what we want to do. 2 Samuel 15, 30. But David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered, and he was barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads, too, and were weeping as they went. Now, David was running for his life, and all of a sudden, the emotions of the situation caught up to him, and he just was very sorrowful, and uh, the situation comes pouring out of him. The emotions come pouring out. Now, David had to face the fact that his son wanted him dead. That'd be hard, and his friends turned against him. David had to turn his toe, prayed, and asked him to. Oh, that's different verse. I haven't read that one yet. So, but the longer we hold on to the pain, the worse it's going to be. Because we hold things in if we're being offended or we're frustrated. We hold it in, we hold it in, we hold it in. And all of a sudden, it's going to come out. And usually, it comes out on a person that we don't want to hurt. We just, sooner or later, we can only hold so much in, and then it, it all comes out. And it isn't pleasant when it is. So if you're going through something, it's okay to cry. It's okay to get it out. Because if we don't, it'll just build up inside of us. Because it's going to come out one day. And that one day may be when you don't want it to come out. So deal with it at the time. If it's something that, makes you, that upsets you to the point of tears, then cry. Cry and ask God to help you. Give it to God and let him give you comfort in those situations. <coughs> there are times we let that need to let our emotions out. Uh, 2 Samuel 15, 31 and 32. <coughs> now David had been told, Apathol is among the conspirators with Absalom. So David prayed, Lord, turn Apithal's counsel into foolishness. When David arrived at the summit, where people used to worship God, Hathi the Archite was there to meet him, his robe torn and dust on his head. Now David climbs the Mount of Olives and he turns to God and asks him for help. Now if you've never been to Jerusalem, you wouldn't know this. You know The Mount of Olives is where he's coming down. So you're coming out of the city and it kind of goes down into a little valley which is called the Kidron Valley and then you go walk up the Mount of Olives. So they're going down and they're walking up the Mount of Olives and um, head covered, weeping, barefoot, basically a sign of mourning. Because we need to let people in let them know we're mourning. And that's what David was doing. He was crying and mourning over the situation. And that um, went through the the whole group of people. So they were doing the same thing. That's why we needed to let people in. So, they can help us. They can pray with us. They can help share the burden. And that's what God says bear one another's burdens and so fulfill what? The law of Christ. Amen. That's God's law. He told us to do it. And if we have the opportunity to help somebody and we don't take it, then that's, God isn't going to be happy with us. So, we need to make sure that we do that, even if our heart's broken. We need to do that. Now David trusted bidder, trusted advisor turned against him. So he asked him, God turn his counsel against him. Let it be foolishness. I think our, that's what our leaders are doing. They're acting in foolishness. Right. They're acting like fools with some of the stuff they're doing. They're okay with killing babies. Which just blows my mind how they could even do that, up yep, to and including birth. I mean I don't care what you say, that's murder. Yeah. To me, I believe life begins at conception. Right. Now they're passing all these heartbeat laws, and, it, and that usually happens about eight weeks. But God says birth, a child is a child at birth, at conception. And that's when we need what we need to fight for. But at least the country's changing. You know, the younger generation is starting to be able to see a baby in the womb. And they see him at different time periods. And they, have, they come out of it realizing that it is a baby. It's not a blob or just a fetus, like they try to tell them. So years ago, they could do that. When Roe and Wade was all the thing that they passed, they didn't have all this information that we have now. Now the group, group of young people, and people are starting to look at these things and see exactly what it is. And they're finding out that they, they feel pain. So when they're in there c- performing an abortion, when they're young, what they're doing is ripping off their body parts. Now can you imagine having your leg ripped out and it not hurt? They rip off the legs, they rip off the arms, they rip off the head to make it fit through this thing that they're putting it through. That's, that's early abortions. After that, man, they do all kinds of things. And the, after birth is what, if they're born and the mother wanted a, an abortion and it didn't happen beforehand, she brought, gave a baby, presented a baby into this world, then they ask the mother, do you still want an abortion? If she says yes, they kill the baby. And that, to me is heart-wrenching. I can't imagine anybody, we have a, this whole society we live in, can't support the atrocities of killing babies. We look at the Old Testament where people killed the whole civilizations, men, women, and children. And we just kind of brush over that, well, that's Old Testament. But we can't imagine anybody doing that today. When we win a war, we don't go in there and clean out everybody and, and carry everybody off into exile. We don't kill all the babies. No, we don't. We have this, we still have some morality about us as a nation. Remember, as the leadership goes, so goes the people. And the people of this nation are starting to rise up and say, I have had enough. I'm not taking anymore. And I hope that this next election we clean out half the garbage that's there, or all of it. I'd like to see all of it cleared out. Yeah. And I'm ashamed of our senator that got into office, old Romney. I never liked him. He's nothing but a Democrat in in Republicans' clothing. That's all he is. He had to be a Republican in order to win. But he isn't a conservative. He's the one that started this, uh, that health care for all in, was it Minnesota, Michigan, wherever he came from? Massachusetts. Massachusetts, that's what it was. And uh, it didn't work. And now he's still trying to do the same thing. And he's always piling on with and agreeing with the Democrats over stuff, and it just irritates me. So, I you know we had Hatch, and he was he was a lot better. But he had, you know you got to retire sometime. He was old, very old. Of course, we have a lot of senators that are very old, and some of them when they get to be president, if they lay elected, to be 88 years old. You know that's kind of old for president. And four years, that'd make him 92. So he'd really have to be careful with his vice president because that would be something, you know? 88 years old. I can't even imagine that. I'm going on 72. I'm going, man, how in the world do you survive, let alone being able to survive that kind of pressure? But how the leadership goes, so goes our our states. But we're starting to stand up. Trump started it irregardless of what you feel about him, we need to realize that he's trying. He's done more than any other president since Reagan. Yeah. And he's improved our lives. And we have an abundance of jobs to choose from. But we have to do something with the border because when we let all these people in, all it does is drive down wages. And we, the people that are looking for work, instead of getting $12 or $15 an hour to start, They're gonna get eight because it's legal over here to work for eight. So we'll lose jobs. And I don't want that. I want them all rounded up, sit home until they come in legally. Because it isn't fair to the people that wait ten years to come into this country. And then all they gotta do is walk across the border, make it, that's it. And the only reason the Democrats support it is because they think they're voters. They're gonna be voters for them. And if they ever do that, legalize all these illegals there will never be another conservative president, never. And this nation will go down the toilet. So whether you agree with them or not, we have to vote conservative. It's the only hope we have in our state state and large uh, nation elections. Okay. So when David sends back the ark, he has absolute faith in God. And we need to have that same kind of faith. Second Samuel 15, 30. Oh, it's not there? Oh, never mind, I'm, I'm down too far, excuse me. But David trusted advisor turned against him. Now I know that every king has advisors. President Trump has advisors. I know this is hard for me to keep track of where I'm at because I can't stand up, sit down. Stand up, sit down, you yeah. know. Is that more disruptive, Pam? <laughs> but it's hard for me. I lose my place very easily. (laughs) Yeah, that's true, that's true. So in the time of crisis, we need to remember to pray. Now David teaches us that during this crisis, God can accomplish what we can't. You know, we need to realize in situations that we're in, if we can't, you fix the situation, we need to let God try. Only God doesn't cry, try, God does. Like Elder used to say, No, try, do. Did you get that? No? Missed that one. How many know what that meant, what I was saying there? In Star Wars, the movie Yoda, when he was training Luke Skywalker, he says, No, try, do. Oh, well. And that, I, I don't know because that's all. That isn't that old. Come on, I know when I'm talking about things that were 50 years ago, but things that were 20 years ago. Anyway, we can't try. We do, and uh, I like A.A.'s motto: "Help me to change the things I can, to change the thing, thing. help me. What is it? Help me to have not accept the things I cannot change, do the things I can, and the wisdom know the difference." Well, God makes everything, makes a difference in every situation in our life, no matter what it is. I we're going through a lot of things. Everybody is. You know, if you're having a problem or you're going through a crisis, you're not alone. Everybody is. You talk to people, and you realize, hey, this isn't just here. It's everywhere. Well, we need to band together and pray with each other because God said that well, one could fight 1,000, you can fight 10,000? So we're stronger together than we are apart. And we need to realize and understand that. Anytime you need somebody to pray with you, we're here. If you're going through a crisis, we'll come over. Someone will come over and pray with you. Someone will try and help you. But you're not alone. None of us are alone. We are a strong rope knitted together as one. And God binds it all together in resin. (laughs) That makes it really strong. In other words, glues it together. And it's hard to break them ropes. You just can't pull on them and do it. You can't do it. The only way you get away from God is if you walk away. No one can take you out of the hand of God but yourself. And if you're in God's hand, why would you want to be gone? Why would you want to be out of his hand? We wouldn't. We want to be in God's hand and let him take care of us. And if we can't do anything in a situation, we need to back up, pray, and regroup, and ask God what to do. Too many times we act impulsively and we end up in a mess. Because it's hard to make the right decisions when you're going through something. That's why they say if you lose somebody... You shouldn't make any critical life-changing decisions for, what is it, 30 days, a year? I don't remember. But it's a long period of time because sometimes we react to a situation instead of act. When we act, we're doing what God wants us to. When we react, we let that situation dictate dictate how we're going to deal with it. And I don't want to react to situations. Sometimes I can't help it. Sometimes I don't like it. But I have to back up and regroup and say, "God help me." And then you call people and let them know so they can pray with you, so that, that bond could be just made stronger. That's why it's good if you're not if you're married to have a a spouse that can pray with you. That, you know you're really blessed if you have that. If you don't, you're still strong because you have the church and you have God. All we need is God. And God has never been beat, beat by anybody or anything. So David teaches us that during a cri- crisis, we need to accomplish, we can accomplish. God can help us accomplish. There we go. Okay, i read my own typing. And prayer is the most important resource that we have during a crisis. Now, worship is seeking God's presence, and prayer is seeking God's provision. Let me read that again. Worship is seeking God's presence, and prayer is seeking God's provision. That's why it says, enter his courts with thanksgiving. You know, we want God's presence in our lives, and we're worshiping God. That's when his presence shows up. And then when we have him here in the throne room, or we're in the throne room praising God, then we can ask for things, because he's, he will provide provisions for us. He says he will supply all of our needs, but he, we need to ask him. Why do we need to ask him if he knows what he needs? Because he wants to be able to grant you a request so you can gain faith in God that he's able to do it. Amen. We do this with our kids, don't we? Your kids just don't go in the and they're old enough to drive. Just don't go in there and grab the keys and run off with your car. No, they ask you first. And then it's a privilege for them to be able to you let, let them drive their car. So God does the same thing. He wants you to ask him so he can provide the need. Or, you say, God, meet this need this way. If not, change my heart so I will be formed, conformed to your will. Well, I want God's will in my life, don't you? Yeah. And we don't have to go through it alone, no matter what. When we face a crisis, is the time to seek God's presence and provision even more than we did before. A crisis sometimes is going to cost us something. David's crisis cost him his son. I don't think the crisis that we cause costs us our son. They could if you're in an automobile accident and you know, uh, lose a loved one when you were driving. That'd be hard. But generally speaking, we aren't s- sacrificing our children to our crisis. David had to pay for his, and Absalom had to pay for his for being rebellious. I don't, you know, we allow too much out of our kids. I would walk around and look at parents and their kids, and I think, man, what is going on? Of course, I, when uh, uh, Sheldon moved in with us when he got divorced years ago, we lived in Colorado. We, we had the kids, and him and I worked opposite ships, so I, I would watch the kids. And Samantha, you all know Samantha, she was just a little girl, two years old. And I'm not kidding you. I told him then. I said, you're going to have to do something with this kid. Because <laughs> she's going to grow up worse than you and cause you a lot of problems. But she was daddy's little girl. <laughs> and she did give him p- some problems. But she is coming back to church anyway, thank God. And brought her, his grandbaby and my great-grandbaby with him. So I lose another grand, great-grandbaby that lives far away. I have two great-grandbabies in, Col- in Texas now. So... That's not fun. If you're a grandma, you know that, but uh, life happens. But I know that God will take care of the situation for him and for us. I don't know what crisis we will endure or what it will cost. Maybe it will cost a job, a friend. I know when we got saved, we had a lot of friends that didn't want to be friends with us anymore. We didn't have to do anything. They just automatically didn't want to be around us. They do not want to be around that God stuff and Jesus stuff anymore. So they left. So God filtered out our friends. We only had one set of friends that stuck with us, even though I was the only one that got saved at first, and they didn't like it when Randy brought me around. Why don't you leave her home? (laughs) Don't like all this Jesus stuff. But I persevered and prayed. and The husband got saved, then the wife, and then Randy got saved. He was the last one that got saved, of of our closest friend. Of course, he's my closest friend. So just hang in there. You don't know what's going to happen, but God will work things out for his good, our good, according to his riches and glory. I want to be close to him. And when you go through a crisis and you trust and lean on God, when you come out the other end, we'll be stronger. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Our precious heavenly Father, I thank you again for this day and your blessings. And I know, Lord, that none of us like crisis. And we avoid it a lot and we don't want crisis in our life but we know that everyone will face crisis at some time whether we like it or not because we do all most of our growing in times of crisis or in time when times and things happen because that's the time we have to cling to you more than we ever do and you're the only one that is with us 24 7 and you understand the pain that we're feeling and you can help us and heal us lord as we go through crises one after another because of this life seems like you're going through one going from crisis to crisis. But through each crisis, Lord, when we give it to you and allow you to work it out, we come out stronger than we were before. And we have the ability now to help someone else make it through that crisis. So Lord, I thank you for that. And Lord, I just ask if there's someone here that doesn't know you this morning, I ask Lord that they would make that decision this morning. And we thank you for it in Jesus name. Everybody I said, Amen. I know most of us are believers, but I'm accountable to God for everything that I say and everything that I do, and I don't want to stand before God and have Him say, Hey, why didn't you give an altar call that week? That was the week that I had somebody that was going to accept me, and you didn't do it. Now, I can't, I, I can't affect anybody's salvation. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I get cheated out of the opportunity of being able to lead somebody to Christ. That's all it is. <coughs> because God knows who's going to be saved from the beginning of the foundation of this world. We have free will, but God knows what what we're going to choose. That's the hardest thing for Christians to understand, having free will and God has foreknowledge of what's going to happen. He knows what choices we're going to make tomorrow, today, next year. He knows all that. And when we pray, we need to pray for God's strength. And that, but if there's someone here that doesn't know him, I would like to give you that opportunity. Anyone this morning? Amen. Praise the Lord.